Dude, so next week. A week from tomorrow. Week from tomorrow. We At this will... time, we'll be almost to Chicago. Man, I I didn't save up at all. I didn't. This I just I'm now having to like scrounge money together. <laughs> well, I didn't plan. <laughs> um, I'm g- gonna go wildly into debt for this. Hey, if you're gonna go wildly into debt, you might as well pay for that like nine thousand dollar a night Airbnb for us. <laughs> That's true. That... I mean, if you're, I mean, you know, if you're gonna go into debt, you might as well go big. Should we be conservative with the? $1,000 a night Airbnb that I sent to you guys, or should we just go all in? Hey, and I'm, if, if you're going to go into debt, I just say go big. Debt is debt. I mean, $1,000, 50000 I think a, 100000 whatever. A good know. financial advisor would say it's all the same. It's all the same, yeah. Yeah, and credit card debt, I've heard, is the best kind of debt. Absolutely. Oh, no. So we're, yeah, we're, we're heading to Europe um, next week, which when this podcast comes out, well, it'll be the sixth when we leave, and we're gonna be gone for two weeks. So we are kind of cramming in four episodes in two here days. in two days <laughs> to get everything ready. So all you lovely listeners have an episode each week. Right. So I mean, hopefully the quality doesn't doesn't go downhill, but it shouldn't. It shouldn't. But if it does, we won't care. We'll be in another yeah. country. <laughs> we'll be in several other countries. We'll be in several other countries. Well, what's what are you looking forward to most? Which country? I mean, um, country activity, just thing in general. Oh, I don't know. I, I'm there's a lot that I'm looking forward to. Like I've wanted to do this trip for a long time, but um, part of me is looking forward towards the the backpacking, just the experience of backpacking. You know, of of taking train rides, staying in hostels. You know, kind of hiking the cities, hiking the areas, and kind of just going different places. You know, mm-hmm. like uh, taking the unbeaten path. Like, I'm looking forward to that because it's one of the few times where I don't have to plan anything. Like, you know, I can just go. <laughs> yeah, the last couple, I mean, most of your recent vacations were either like Mexico, Brazil. And in Mexico, you had to act as the person who had been there before. And so you were kind of a translator a little bit because yeah. your Portuguese helps you a little bit with Spanish. Right. Uh, but then you also were telling people like where to go and how the schedule. So you didn't get to relax as much there. And then in Brazil, we all just had to hinge on your <laughs> local knowledge as much as possible. So we walk into a restaurant and look up at the waitress as she says something in Portuguese. And we look at you. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not the best way to vacation. No. So I'm looking forward to just, you know, being able to just kind of go with the flow and not, not worry about anything. Um, and then... As far as places, I don't know. I'm looking forward to every every one of the countries we're going to go visit. Um, part of me, like right now, currently, is looking forward to um, Switzerland. Like, not because I think it's going to be necessarily more fun than any other country, but because I think we'll have some of the most scenic views, you know, in, in a trip there. Yeah, that we're taking the, the Express that should have just views that... When we come back, we'll be those people who go, I mean, here are pictures, but you just had to be there. It's just not the Pretty same. Much. <laughs> and for the next, there will, I want to warn people for the next, there might be a month cool off period where we are so pretentious uh, that we, we will just talk about, well, you know, when I was in Europe, I did this. And, well, you know, in, in, in France, they don't do it. You know, France, in Germany, they do it this way. And everyone will, all of, all of a sudden, will just stop listening and... Yeah. 
that's that's just something that comes with the territory. I mean, I suppose <laughs> that's just me. Okay. Today's episode is on the cross choke, and we are just jujitsu podcast. I am Andrew, and I'm Kryler. We're starting off strong. You know that—that's just. Can that be your job? To just, for every, re- just remind you. Every single podcast, you—you you don't have to do anything other than have well carry the show with knowledge and <laughs> and just remind me that I need to say who we are. Fair enough. And then if you could just start editing it, and then and then just do all of it. Okay. I no, I can't do that. <laughs> so the cross choke. It's Correct. one of the first things I think most people learn. I know it's one of the first things we learn at our school. It's probably one of the oldest jujitsu techniques, one of the originals. I mean, that is correct. it'd be like part of the like classic top ten list. Absolutely. Let people listening who are so new they don't even necessarily know what we're referring to with a cross choke. It's one that you can hit from different positions, but the essential traits of it are one hand goes, uh, it's a cross, uh, it goes across to the opposite side of the arm that you're using to that person's neck under their gi, grabs the collar. The other hand comes underneath your arm, grabs their opposite side of the collar. And then you just squeeze really hard. That's all it is. That, that's it. That's there's it. no there's no technique to this one, which I like. You just squeeze, you just right? Squeeze. That's why it's called a technical choke because you just squeeze. You just squeeze. <laughs> oh yeah, it's the other name is the yeah, technical, technical choke. choke. Yeah, yeah. I think in America they call it a, a cross a cross choke is most common, but in Brazil I believe it's still referenced as a technical choke. Uh, how do you say that? In, what would you call it in Portuguese? Um, it depends which part of the country you're from because. Like in English, choke can be called a strangulation, asphyxiation, and so on. So. Yeah, but if you're talking to someone in jujitsu and they say strangulation, that's just a creepy person. No, but that's how you would say it. It would be technical strangulation. Technical strangulation. Yeah. I'm not rolling with the guy who calls it that. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the one of the fundamental techniques of jujitsu when did you did you learn it like right when you started when you were just a little kid crawling on a mat yeah i mean that was i i couldn't tell you exactly which age i learned it i it was just one of those things it was like it's like an americana like i don't couldn't tell you when i learned americana i just just did (laughs) why is it something that everyone learns right away why is it a great technique for that i think um i think one the 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 cross choke is a very iconic move in jiu-jitsu so it's kind of like an arm bar very iconic a triangle um so you expose students to that so they, they can i think it's it's kind of like that cool thing you see on tv so you learn to do it and you feel like you're, you belong you know i think there's a little bit of a, of a selling point there um and, and and this is more true especially back then because my grandfather when he was fighting um i believe four or five of his matches uh with especially against the japanese he finished with a cross choke so if you taught that to somebody who watched him compete they could you know feel like hey i can do that too you know it kind of brought that feeling of belonging and what is the origin of the cross choke um 
I, I'm not going to say my grandfather invented because he himself has never said he invented anything. Um, I believe I believe the, the cross choke was around at some point um, when Japanese jutsu became judo. Um, because in judo there's plenty of chokes and strangulations and so on. I just don't believe that in judo the emphasis was given to cross choking which means that it was not as developed as my grandfather made it to be. Well, it must not have been because you said he got four submissions or he had multiple submissions on mainly judo guys, so they weren't as familiar with at least the way he was utilizing it. Well, he was combining it with closed guard, which was another thing that he was, you know, he he pioneered or helped develop. And, And so I think... The, the cross choke became this very iconic thing, like the, like the secret weapon. You know, um, there are several steps to a cross choke. My grandfather was notorious for being able to choke people unconscious with with two steps in, um, which I think is what surprised a lot of the Japanese guys, is because he didn't look like he was doing anything. Were the first were the chokes and the submissions he was getting people in his guard? Is that when he was yes. using that type? submission he wouldn't do it from mount as often uh he he had a harder time being on, on top right i mean he's grappling these judo guys and my grandfather was a judo um he was an honorary i believe honorary judo like two or three degree black belt done um I, I know he trained judo for a while um but he couldn't compete with guys that were specialists at takedowns so anytime he fought the japanese being smaller and being the less uh, experienced of the of the you know stand up fighters he usually got ragdolled into the ground which again benefited him because the judo guys were not as experienced as he was in the ground and then he could take advantage of that it is a nice choke for someone who is smaller who is oftentimes just getting smashed and pressured because the person is giving you and giving you what you need your neck usually if you're on your back they're in your guard they're pressing forward and if they are just kind of opening up that neck it gives you that opportunity it's to very unassuming right i mean you're not even wrapping your hand you mean you're not even like you're not physically grabbing their neck you know you're you're doing off of a collar um do you always set it up with just that i mean you're just setting up first with just the cross grip on their collar and it's not even it doesn't even register usually as a threat to right. someone. It's just it's just kind just of there. They're thinking you're you're underneath me. I have all my weight on top of you. I you can keep your hand there. Right. I don't I don't need that right. no threat. And and the thing with with the cross choke is you know anybody that's listening that's higher than let's say a, you know a blue belt. Blue belt or higher. Um, they may say, "Well, my cross chokes, you know, they they can't be that good because Nobody cross chokes, you know, anyone in my school. You know, nobody cross chokes me. And and it's easy to say those things. And because of that, a lot of people lose faith in the cross choke or they don't practice it as much. And, and people, I think there's a false um, ideology there. If you learn the first move, if everybody's first move is the same move, everybody's going to have roughly the same idea of what you're trying to do so if they know exact let's say let's say two eye belts start today and their only move is a cross choke that's what they learned today in class 
and I say, hey, go grapple. And they, they grapple for an entire week. Their only, the only move that they know is a cross choke. Unless there's a huge athletic difference, neither of them are going to cross choke each other. Because that's they know, hey, this guy, that's the only thing this guy knows. So if I can keep him from doing that, and meanwhile, the other guy's thinking the same thing, then they stalemate, right? And then you, you, you get frustrated with it, and you start looking for an edge, and then you know you may learn, let's say, an arm bar. So then all of a sudden, you can combine an arm bar with a cross choke. You're more successful with the arm bar, so you're like, hey, I'm just going to do the arm bar because my partner doesn't know the arm bar, so I get ahead. Um, basically, it's that trick move that everybody knows. So then it's no longer a trick move. Where do you usually see the success of the choke break down? It seems like, for me, there's no problem. In, it's it's one where everyone can get 50% of the way through through that choke. I got that cross-collar grip. 50%. All right, that was easy. Mm-hmm. I just have the second step now. I just have to bring my other hand in there. Right. And that's the, that's the toughest part. Why right. is that so challenging? Well, from the bottom, from the bottom it becomes a... It becomes a an issue of the key. I mean, so when you're in the bottom and you stick your hand in somebody's collar, you know, cross collar, and you grab the, the the collar, generally speaking, you're hanging from that collar because they're pushing up, they're trying to posture up, and you're trying to pull them down, right? And that removes when that happens, you remove slack on the opposite side, um, on the opposite shoulder, which means your free hand, even if your opponent was not trying to fight that free hand right your free hand is gonna have a harder time entering inside of the gi because there's no slack there's no give so if you do manage to get your fingers in it's usually a very crappy grip um which then leads you know so what happens then is you have this crappy grip a good grip and a crappy grip and then you try to do the choke it doesn't work you start to get tired you let go or you burn out all your power on that choke that's not working um so you know, small trick for those of you listening, if you're trying to do a cross-collar choke from the bottom and you put a hand in the collar and they're posturing up, don't try to put the second hand in. You need to pull them down. And then as they come down, that, that grip that you have, um, punch that grip to the ceiling. Because when you punch that grip to the ceiling, you create slack on the opposite shoulder. And then your free hand will then go into the collar much easier. So pull them in. And then as they come down, you punch the hand up. Uh, that creates the space to bring that second one in. Yep. Okay. On top, the issue becomes um, balance and entry. You know, so if you get to the top, top mount, you know, top mount is not one of, the, one of those positions that's super easy to control. It does take a little bit of, of experience. So if you're on top and you put a hand in their collar, well, you still have a hand to base out and you can still kind of, you know, threaten movement certain movements and you can kind of stay on top but you commit that second hand now you have no post right so if your entry is poor or you know not perfect and then they bump you have to decide do i let go of the collar and and stay on top which means that the choke failed or do i accept being rolled and hope that the choke is correct that's a problem and i said the other problem becomes entry because when you're on top your opponent is essentially being crushed right their jaws usually to their neck their shoulders like pulled in their gi bunches up and it becomes difficult to get that hand inside now you do have a trick you probably have a couple tricks but i know one of your tricks to help get that second hand in when you are on mount what is that one it's it's where you like use your body 
to hide the hand. Yeah. yeah. So when I'm mounted um, and I have my, my cross collar grip. I'm sorry. I'm telling people this. You're never going to get this choke again now. Never. It's done. That's the only <laughs> trick I had. Hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> you know, if I'm if I'm mounted and I have a cross collar grip, the, the problem is the guy on the bottom has no incentive to get out of the bottom if he's being threatened, right? His, his, his thought process is defend. If he cannot attack me, then I can escape later. So what are they usually doing? They're, they're usually blocking or watching for the, for the free hand. And when the free hand commits to something, whether it's entering or gripping, then they bump or they defend, they block, they hold. Um, so the, the trick that Andrew was talking about is one that your hand disappears. So if you have your cross collar grip and you stand up straight and you rotate your body towards your free arm, uh, your cross collar grip arm essentially blocks the view for your opponent's view of your free arm. And then your free arm can sneak right in and they won't see it. When you're turning away towards your free arm and you have your uh, one hand secure in the collar, are you using your forearm in a cross face at all or are you just using it to obstruct their view just obstruct the view yeah i don't need to throw off my balance if i commit too much weight i may get tipped um but it doesn't mean that my wrist isn't applying pressure it's just not applying pressure in a way that shifts my hips okay now i want to go back to guard uh pulling this when you are in someone's in your guard and some of the other parts of that what when you're using it in that position, if someone starts to, if they, while you have that push your leg down and they get to half guard, mm -hmm. at that point, should you move on to something else? No. So choke any chokes, not just cross collar chokes, but um, the the you know I I talk about like um, if you have a choke set up right and it's it's locked in, the a timer starts. You have, you have, your opponent has six seconds to react. If you stick to that choke and they cannot find a way to break free or, or um, escape or nullify your ability to deliver power, then they they lose in six seconds. That's why like if you mount and you have a really great cross-collar choke and they bump and roll you to the bottom and then they pass your guard, as long as you still have that choke, they're going to go out all the same. So you have that choke, they they get to half guard, they even get to side control. It, once they get to north-south, you've lost it. Right, Right. because once they go to north and south, the cross-collar choke it becomes the same on, collar choke. Yes. <laughs> same on, side it's collar. It's uncrossed, yes. Okay. Yeah, now, the, the you know, everybody listening is like, well, you can't do that from side mount. You're right. You can't, but it's not that because the mechanics of the choke don't work from side mount. It's because you cannot control your opponent's movements, right? Every time in the scenario you said mount, close guard, half guard, side, you're essentially losing control. I'm on top and in control. I'm in bottom and in control. We're splitting control, half half guard, right? You're on top and yeah, half guard, top control, and half half guard, bottom control. And then you pass. You're in side mount, you know. So I'm. The person applying the choke is losing control of the opponent, but the mechanics, the choke, will work all the same. So you could still hit it from that position if the person stays there. Said, "I'm just going to hang at camp out here for a little while." And and it happens. You you watch. Um, it happens all the time with like baseball chokes. Um, if you watch um, at any white belt blue belt match, that's usually where you see the most baseball chokes. 
um, guys will pass half guard, get hit with a baseball choke. And baseball choke is the other way around, right? So if you want to uncross the baseball choke, you got to go back to guard in order to be safe. Very difficult to do that, but that's the uh, that's the way out. But oftentimes you see people pass and get caught in a baseball choke and go, oh shit. And then they just stay there. They're hoping for like divine intervention and then they wake up because they got put to sleep. Happens all the time. Yeah, it does. Another issue I run into with this is when you start to go for, you, let's say you get your first hand in, your second hand comes in, and right when you start to try to, I mean, we haven't even gotten to the other steps of what you do, but before we get there, what do you do when someone puts their chin down, like right, like you lose you lose it because they just drop their chin and their neck disappears. What did you do wrong for them to be able to do that? And how do you, is there a way to salvage the choke again if they get that neck down and you're on yeah. their jaw? How, how many um, how many talking points do you want? Because I can go all day about that. <laughs> uh, as many as we can get in under 40 minutes. Okay. Well, um, if it's, if let's say it's, Let's say it's a tournament and you make your living off jujitsu and you know, you need to win this. Let's say like, um, there's money on the line, 10 grand, 20 grand. That that's, that's your income, right? You you don't make any other sort of money. So you need that. You need to win that. Somebody puts their jaw down. You can break that jaw. You just choke right through it. It won't, it won't hold. Right. Um, now that's not jujitsu, right? That's, crude application of of knowledge um, but this but that is something that needs to be acknowledged is that your jaw will protect you only so far right um, now if we're looking for more technical solutions there's a number of things we can do um, first let's talk about why the jaw could come down if you have your first hand in the collar your first hand that's securing the collar let's say your right hand for this example so your right hand in the collar your right wrist should be so tight against their neck that even if they were to put their jaw down, it's already blocking that way, right? It's already there. So there's no way that your jaw can come down completely unless it goes through your wrist. Mm -hmm. Now, everybody listening is going to be like, well, I can do that. No, you can't. You adjust your body to create space between the opponent's wrists and then lower your jaw, right? So that that's the first thing there is there's a loss of contact there. Um, the second thing it comes in with the entry, uh, cross collar chokes, if you're going four fingers in, uh, the second hand, if the second hand is gonna be a four finger entry to the collar, it needs to go underneath the first arm, not above it. If you go above the first arm, you're gonna be going across their cheek instead of underneath your arm, which should be underneath their jaw, which guarantees a neck to neck connection that, that's a good point I, I, that i was going to talk about it later is why why it's important to have that arm under right. the first arm yeah now if you modify the cross collar and you go thumb in then then you want to go above it now you said four fingers in correct are there there's four there are four fingers in thumb in correct do you do are there other kinds of shoulder okay and so that would still be part of the cross choke where you do let's say if you went four fingers in with one your first hand and the other one you maybe just go thumb in. Right. That's all still cross still, choke. Technically, just, still just cross collar choke. Slightly modified. It is not the iconic cross collar choke. It is not the cross collar choke that my grandfather <coughs> was was famous for. Um, it's not, but it is a modified cross choke. 
is the thumb in cross choke have traits that uh, is it harder to hold is it e- it's easier to secure a, a your second hand generally speaking has a, a better percentage chance of being an overall better grip like you said most people get halfway with a cross collar choke but they struggle with the second hand where when you go thumb in or just grabbing the shoulder you generally speaking that that grip is going to be the 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 percentage chance of it being better grip is is higher. Mm-hmm. Okay, back to your bullet points on uh, what what went wrong um, or what to yeah. do to get back to um, where you need. Well, to. so then you can you can shave. Shaving is yeah. Um, explain that concept. So, um, so you know if if somebody puts their jaw down, we all have to understand that a jaw isn't really not going to protect you. We talked about this a couple minutes ago where. It's kind of like a dick defense because you put your jaw down. You're hoping I don't break your teeth or your jaw. You're hoping that I let go because I don't want to be that brute that's hurting you. Yeah, it's a it's a defense in polite world and polite circles. As soon as Correct. someone pushes like breaks that facade down, you realize it's only it's only your fragile little jaw that's going to be broken soon. Right. So that defense forces me to be even more gentle with you than than you want right well when we talk about shaving the the act of shaving is the act of causing of of basically you're looking to rotate or manipulate head movement with your arms elbows shoulders um, and, and and you do that by grinding your um, your gi against in, in an opposite direction that you want their head to move to. The, you're not trying to crush their face. I, I please anybody listening to this, you're not putting a forearm down on their jaw and just pushing it. Uh, I'm talking about as an example. Let's say we go thumb in with our second hand, right? So I put my first hand in. I got my first. My right hand is my cross collar grip. You put your jaw down. I'm gonna have a hard time getting that clean second hand entry. So I may put my elbow by your ear. My where I want my hand to be, right? I put my elbow there and I will pull it against your jaw. And what happens is essentially it feels like your face is being shaved by a very crude, you know, razor. So you turn your head. When you turn your head, it exposes the neck and I can get my thumb in grip and so on. So instead of bludgeoning the person, you're just you're just slicing them. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good way of putting it. Okay. And it it's just trying to get to your goal by just working, not going through the person, which would be being blunt and bludgeoning them, not going around the person, which would be giving them way too much space. It's going like perfectly as close as you can along the perimeter right. of their face or right. jaw. Which I think is a good compromise, right? You put your jaw down. I don't break your jaw, right? You use the, you know, a polite defense against me. So I use a polite way of breaking your jaw. And shaving, you use that in all different kinds of oh, situations. Oh, yeah, there's all sorts of contact. Oh, yeah. You, you can shave people's faces any way you want and, and manipulate them very, very successfully. That's right. And you can just shave them. Generally, it's a bonding experience. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't know. Well, we're going to Europe, so, I mean, we'll, we, you claw on me. We'll just, we'll just see where things go. Oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, go, we'll go to, like, some, some, like, random bathhouse, and maybe part of the, like, bonding ritual there is you all just, like, shave each other's backs. Wow. 
You know what? That would be a raw deal for me because I have no hair on my back. <laughs> I'm guessing you and Claude have way more hair than I would. So whoever I'm stuck shaving, I'd be like, oh, all right, my wrist hurts. Can we switch? <laughs> I'm not going to make any jokes about that. I'm just going <laughs> to... I'm just going to leave it. <laughs> I'm sorry for everyone who just had to visualize Croiler and I shaving each other's backs. That That's that's I something no one should. I hadn't until you said that. Think about it. No. Dream about it. No. Let it just seep into your head. <laughs> I'm not. No. I'm, I'm not comfortable with any of that. <laughs> All right. So the, 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 we covered some things about when they're in your guard. Let's maybe step back and talk about the fundamentals of the cross okay. joke. Uh, we talked about the entries. Right. So so if you're talking about like breaking down the steps, um, for the sake of the explanation, let's assume you're you're leading with your right hand. So you know, you want to get your right hand deep enough into the collar, into the opposite side collar. So your right hand goes to the right shoulder, but you wanna go so far into it that when you bend your hand, so let's say let's say you look at your arm and you pull your knuckles to your forearm, right? that bend should be on the opponent's traps, you know, past well past their collarbone. I think that's another really common mistake is people grab far too early and you want to go deep with that cross collar. Um, so default to going too far to the point where when you have both hands in, almost your your, knuck, yeah, your yeah, knuckle so should be touching. Correct. So when your hands are both in, they should almost be touching each other. Um, of course, this is all dependent on hand size, opponent's gi size, you know, um, ability opportunity sometimes you have to settle for a less than perfect grip right but we're, we're talking about a, an ideal world so yeah you get your first hand in second hand if it's four if it's a four finger grip it's going to go underneath your first grip if it's a thumb grip it's going to go above right but for this example we're going to talk about a traditional cross collar where both grips are four fingered grips so um, once you have both grips set in place everybody pulls their elbows way out of their body like they're trying to rip their shirt off you know like they're doing like a row like a like rowing a boat yeah i always pictured like superman you know like when he pulls his shirt apart uh, you know but anyways yeah so yeah whatever <laughs> <laughs> hey at least you're picturing superman that means for that little bit of time you had us shaving each other's backs out of out of your head but now Why it's back in there but now back? it's back in there god damn it <laughs> superman superman go back yeah, to superman uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah so um we're not. We're actually not supposed to engage our our shoulders and our back, our elbows or anything like that until a little bit later on. Uh, the first step becomes to curl your wrists, and this is a very awkward motion to do, um, especially if you've if you've never done it, if you've never felt it. Um, the idea is to pull your grip towards your the the bottom part of your forearm. Right? Pull, pull like your your if your uh, your fingernails are facing you. Your your knuckles are facing you. Pulling it to you. Curl towards you. Correct. Um, now this is a very difficult thing to do, especially early on in in your jiu-jitsu career, because everybody's wrists tend to be very very weak, and if you don't have the forearm power to do that, it can feel like it's impossible to do. But with with a couple weeks practice, that changes very quickly. So you pull your fingernails, like you said, to you. You curl that way. When you when you're doing that, what that's doing for the choke is it's creating an even tighter connection between your forearm and the opponent's neck. Right, you're using the gi to pull yourself in your forearm into their neck, eliminating space. Right, and then 
after that. So that's exactly what's happening. I guess I never actually thought about what that particular part was doing, but now that you say that, it's it's just tightening my it's bringing my wrists or the blade of my arm closer to correct the the side of their neck remember you know the the tighter that connection the tighter the choke is going to be um so then the next step becomes once you've done that is to try to split your thumbs apart um also very difficult motion to do early on and and it's a very subtle motion it doesn't look like i could do it and you could see a little bit but it's not you know doesn't seem like it would matter that much however um what you're doing then is you're turning your forearm so that it becomes a sharper focal point to the pressure right before it's very wide that pressure gets dispersed a little bit more because there's more surface area to surface area contact and when we when we curl we separate the split the thumbs apart we're turning the wide surface area of the forearm into a much smaller focused um areas uh, smaller surface area and to be clear when we say split the p- thumbs apart I, what we're meaning is after you curl split the thumbs apart in the sense that if there was uh if you had like a a nickel in between your two uh uh base knuckles on your thumb you're going to move your thumbs away so that nickel would fall that's the weirdest analogy to use i don't know why i used the nickel in between i, th- the I th- thought you were onto something there and then, and then, and then, and then it, just, fell, it apart. Fell, fell apart yeah kind of like the, the the nickel falling off yeah yeah you thought nickel okay i all right where's this going yeah i'm like this could be onto and it felt no that's yeah. stupid but, but but he is right so if imagine if you if you're holding a nickel. if you're holding a nickel. something between you know your knuckles and your, your thumb knuckles and you separate them you know when you're doing that you're again not only pulling your wrists further in but you're also reducing the surface areas therefore increasing pressure because pressure is i i didn't plan this i he's got I, a bunch of coins here he I, I just this. looked up at the uh the <laughs> my dresser next to me and there are nickels on it so i'm just going to uh quickly do this uh i know you can't see so i'll describe this this thrilling action i have the imaginary cross choke in right now Quirler, you seeing this in between my Thumb knuckles. There is a nickel. Can you please confirm for the ladies and gentlemen I'm, that there's a nickel I'm, here? I'm not acknowledging this. And as I curl my hands towards me, okay. What's the next step? Split the thumbs, and folks, you'll hear. Did you hear that? The nickel fell. Amazing. Wow. Yeah. Now I have another nickel here. No, I'm done. No. Okay. So, um, you know, when you're doing that again, you're removing slack, removing space between your forearm and their neck. And then you're reducing surface area. Now, anytime that you're applying pressure, if you reduce surface area, but you maintain or increase the amount of force you're putting into it, the pressure greatly increases. So think of it, um, a good example for this is, you know, you see people that do like, they lay down in a in, uh, bed of nails, right? And that's, that's cool, cool looking, but not nearly as impressive as if they lay down in a bed of one nail. <laughs> right right um because there's more nails there's more surface area that's absorbing that pressure or the force so they can spread it out and when we split the thumbs we we reduce the surface area therefore we increase the pressure to the choke all right and it's at this stage that my grandfather was known for choking people out like he never got further than this which is impressive that he had it so tight at that point he didn't have to do anything else which 
the stuff after this is where you start to kind of use some strength and muscle. Right. And that's where the, the next few steps are the steps that everybody focuses on, it, which, which they should be secondary to these first steps, right? Um, so you've curled your, you curled your wrists, you've split your thumbs. Now comes down to let's add some muscular power because so far everything's been a structural power, right? Um, so to add muscular power, the first step becomes to pull your opponent's head to your chest or bring your chest to your opponent's head. Um, the reason for that is because it puts your muscles in a better working range um, than if they're further away, right? So every your muscles have a, a you know, let's say your, your mobility, let's say your biceps, if you extend your arm completely out in front of you, when you pull your bicep back, it's only going to be stronger past the first 10 or 15% of the range of motion up until the last 10 or 15% of the range of motion. Once you're on the extremes, you're weak. So by pulling the opponent's head to your chest or by pushing your chest onto their head, you allow yourself to be within that perfect working range. At which stage then you pull your elbows to your back and this should be a motion done with your dorsal, not with your shoulders. If you use your shoulders, your elbows will flare away from your body and it's almost like you're trying to decapitate the opponent versus pull them through you. Um, when you pull your elbows to your back, you want to try to get your elbows to touch your spine without separating, you know, by going around your rib cage and not separating from your body. Okay. One thing that I forgot to mention that I know people always, and I, I will do the same thing sometimes, always for, mess up in those first couple stages when you roll the hands towards you and split the, the thumbs, they roll towards, and then they, it get there's that next step gets loose. Right. Because they forget something. Right. It, you know, and that's the thing with jujitsu. Anytime you're doing a technique in jujitsu, it should always be an addition, not a substitution. Let's say a technique is five steps. You should do one and two and three. <laughs> you don't go, four. first one's done, check. All right, no, second one, I'm done with that first one. Whew. All right, back to back right, to where I was. Right. So it sounds, it sounds silly, like when we talk about it out loud, but that is a really common thing in the beginner stages of your jiu-jitsu career. You see it all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, you get to mount, you go for an arm bar. Like, well, I got to here. Well, yeah, but did you control the arm? Were you heavy? Well, I was already here. Yeah, but you then let go of control. <laughs> so. so that's a good breakdown of the fundamentals of it, mm -hmm. of the cross choke, technical choke. Are there any things you have to be wary of while you're doing it? You mentioned earlier if you're doing it on top, you're a little more unstable. You have to be worried. Uh, be careful of someone sweeping you. Yeah, you know, you're committing two arms for one end goal, right? That's a lot to give up for in a fight. You know, you're you're giving up essentially two of your four limbs to try to get a submission out of somebody, which means that your other two limbs have to be capable enough and you you have to be capable enough with your other two limbs to control your opponent long enough for the choke to sink in granted it's only six seconds right you only have to control for six seconds but a six seconds can be an eternity depending which side of the fight you're in are there any submissions that you are susceptible to when someone is, when you're do, going for a cross choke i mean if it's properly properly applied, mm -hmm. no. The I, I say properly. Properly. <laughs> the only thing I could think of was some kind of wrist lock. 
Well, the wrist locks will work as long as it's only one hand in the collar. Once they have both hands in the collar, it becomes difficult because the question becomes, can you control them from an inferior position while being choked and find a way to wrist lock them? All that in under six seconds, right? It's very, very tough. One hand, mm -hmm. for sure. If they put one hand in your collar, you can wrist lock them all day. Two hands, it becomes a little more problematic. And how do you... When you're going for the cross choke, how do you get, how do you get past someone who, let's say you're in, well, really whatever position, they're using their hands a lot to obstruct what you're trying to set up. Right. So that that comes back down to one is a little bit more just experience, but two it comes down to to um, you know game manipulation, like manipulating the game to your benefit. So if I put a hand in a collar, ninety nine percent of the people do what they touch that hand, they touch that form, they feel like they push it down or away from their body, or if they hold it in place, then it can't choke them, right? And, and it's true, it's a little bit annoying, but it doesn't really stop the choke, it's more of like a nuisance. And then you get frustrated, you put in a crappy second hand, you get rolled. Um, but there are tricks to understanding that, hey, if they're gonna commit their arms to holding your one arm, essentially they're committing two limbs to defend a choke that is not there yet because you don't have the second hand right then you can then attack their arm so this is something like uh, my cousin Hiron um, he 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 claims to be one of the fastest cross-collar chokers out there right um, and he's very quick with him but Hiron is more commonly known for the people that roll with him or grapple with him he's more known for his arm bars than he is for his cross-collar chokes and the reason for that is because when he goes for his cross-collar chokes, people either are aware that he's good with them or they do what they've always been told and they hold that forearm down. And then that exposes them for an arm bar. So then he became very good at arm bars. Um, so the trick is making your secondary threat more dangerous than your first threat. It usually happens. That's why like at black belt levels, uh, the black belts don't go down into a very deep chain of attacks. Very rare. It's usually the one or two or three and they finish. You're much more likely to see a gigantic scramble chaining six moves together at a purple or brown belt level than at a black belt level. Because if you get a guy like, let's say, Haja Gracie, who's probably the most notorious cross-collar choker ever, right? Haja puts his first hand in your collar. What are you going to do? This is the best cross-collar in the world. What, what, do you, what do you do? It's a serious question. What would you do? You're going to fight to the death not to let, the, to let the second hand come in, right? But in doing so, maybe you expose your arm, right? Maybe you expose yourself to a different choke. And then let's say you grapple with him again, and he puts the first hand in your collar. And you know that how you're going to defend is going to get you tapped. What do you do? Just give up. I, I just tap right there. <laughs> well... Sure, that's an option, but most people are going to do what? I mean, realistically, they're going to still defend the cross-collar because if they don't, they're going to tap earlier, right? They're trying to prolong their life. And if you know the Hajar is going to armbar you because you held the collar, you're much less likely to hold the collar with intention, like with, like, like with meaning. Like you may put your hand there, just in case he tries to choke you and then you can start fighting but you're not going to grab and fight that arm and mm -hmm. expose your arm well but in doing so you've weakened your first defense and then you get caught more often 
speaking of Hodger and the cross choke, he made quite a bit of use of that, especially in a particular year, wasn't it, yeah. where he just decided? I think it was 07, 06 or 07, 05, one of those three years. Just kind of decided he was going to technical choke everybody. From out. The same choke, same setup. That's... Yeah, let, let that sink in for a second. <laughs> it would be hard to just do that if you were trying to... If you if if you were a nobody going from like tournament to tournament and people didn't know your game, but when you're at that level and people see you compete all the time, they you're competing you. against the same people. And they study you. And and these guys are not just your local guys in a tournament. The guys that he was choking are legends in the sport now, are guys that you know are multi time world champions. And you st- he still managed to, yeah, to get all the same, the, it's the same choke on everybody. They couldn't stop it. Was it just he had Technique, timing, everything came together to make this perfect He had a better understanding of a very fundamental choke than they did. He also had a better understanding of the defenses to that choke than they did. So, um, uh, it's it's, uh, basically, if you and I both know the same thing, right? Let's say you you have the same amount of knowledge that I do. Who wins? person who has more strength or more let's say let's say ability. that's equal let's say that's equal to who wins we both have the same amount of technique and experience yep and same physicality same attributes we're not healthy i mean so we're not sick we're, we're completely healthy there's no injuries who wins everything's even so who wins the person who goes for it first is it Aren't they more likely to make a mistake because they went first? Well, they're as likely to make a mistake as you would be. So if they went for it first and made a mistake, you would probably make a mistake trying to defend it. Or I could take advantage of their mistake because their attack is in a weaker position. If you had a better understanding of how to defend that than they did. Maybe. Right. So that, that's this is an ultimate question, uh-huh. right? Yeah. You know, uh, in, in the 80s was if Hickson fought Hickson, who, who would win? Right in the nine or in the late nineties, early two thousands, the question was if Hajar fought Hajar, which which version of him would win? Mm-hmm. Right. What it, what it comes down to is if everything is equal, and and they were not equal, you know, not, uh, Hajar's knowledge and understanding were far superior than his opponents. But if everything was equal, how could there be a champion? How could there be a winner in that match? If you understand the value of what you're fighting for, and when that value has diminished meaning he may understand that hey if i have if they defend my my cross collar grip this way it won't make a difference i'll still choke them right Mm -hmm. but if they defend this other way it no longer works so i'm not going to waste the energy okay so it doesn't become it's not a matter of technical knowledge it becomes a matter of understanding the principles and the concepts behind it oh i see learning what to fight for and when to fight for it versus simply just applying a technique okay valuable lesson learned there uh is there any crossover to nogi with the cross joke with the cross collar the cross collar no i mean it can be it can be done not very effectively but it can Mm. be done um figure i mean cross collar and then you go to nogi where there is no collar i didn't know if there was some type of modification where there's a no, no, no. I mean, you can do you can do like a no gi baseball choke, you know, but you, you couldn't do a cross collar because a cross collar choke relies 
on the collar to create to eliminate that space and that slack that we talked about in order to create the choke. What's the status of the cross choke in the world of competitive jujitsu today? Um, at the highest levels, you you may see you may see happening every once in a while. Usually, the more what now is considered the old school guys, you know, um, like Shanji Hibedu and, and Hajar Gracie and Braulio and these guys. But generally speaking, in in jujitsu today, you see more modified cross chokes and more um, looping chokes than you do just a traditional cross collar. And by modified, I mean where like an elbow grabs the shoulder. I'm sorry, when where a hand grabs the shoulder instead of you go thumb in instead of four fingers in, or you use the opponent's lapel as a secondary grip instead of grabbing on their collar or their shoulder, you just grab their lapel and you loop it over the head like a bravo style choked, um, and then and then loop chokes have taken the the have at least recently in the last five years have overtaken the the rate of the rate of success in in competition. What do you ta- what advice before we go do you have for new people who are starting to use this cross choke what what do they need to just pay attention to master it everything from the grip the pressure that you can generate with your wrists how it feels to eliminate space between your forearms and wrists and their neck how to minimize surface area from their neck how to you know get a clean entry with your second hand how to you know bait the opponent into moving their arms out of the way. I mean, they are fighting you after all. And then learn that when it comes time to squeeze, it's always done with your back and never done with your shoulders. All right, that's good advice. All right, so we hop over now to a listener email. Oh, God. (laughs) I haven't gotten this one. (laughs) It's probably something bad. No, no, I think I did send you this one. Yeah, I'll start reading and we'll just see. Um. It's from Matt. Matt says, wanted to ask you some questions around getting your kids into jiu-jitsu. I have three boys, 10, 8, and 6, that I have casually introduced to jiu-jitsu, but wanted to get your thoughts. Um, a little of my background knowledge. I've been training for two years, just under two years, have a decent understanding of what I need to work on, but want to introduce my boys to the gentle art so they can enjoy it as much as I do. Question. What are some of the best ways to introduce your kids to jujitsu, and what situations and submissions would you recommend introducing them to first? And for example, takedowns, close guard, armbar, and then he also asks, what training schedule or resources would you recommend? Is there curriculum for kids uh, or a website that you recommend them to go to uh, to follow? Well, um, and then he said your voice. No, he didn't say anything <laughs> about your voice. Um, you know, don't force kids into jujitsu. Yeah, I think that's a huge mistake. You know, you should introduce them, bring them in, but I wouldn't say force them. If a kid doesn't want to train, he doesn't want to train. You know, you don't want the, your child to resent training. Like, you don't want them to feel like it's something that they have to do. You know, make them have fun. If they're feeling like they don't want to train or they're not enjoying it, then they're not going to learn. You learn fastest by, by having fun. So if you have, if one of your kids is a little bit more leery about trying it, or he's just doing it because you're telling him to do, before you teach him any chokes, any takedowns, any submissions, anything crazy like that, just 
show them how to have fun on the mats. Why is it fun? You know, what, what, what's the, what's, why should they want to do this? Mm -hmm. You know, and if you tell a six year old, because somebody's going to try to beat your ass one day and you might need to choke them like that, that's, that's not appealing to them. There's no, no part of that is interesting or fun. Um, which brings me to the to your next question of um, resources, right? So the best resource you can have for your kid is to find a school that um, has a, a good kids program. And, and by good, I don't necessarily mean large. Generally speaking, a good kids program will also be a large kids program. But I mean one where it's healthy, where the kids are there, they're having fun, they're enjoying themselves, they want to be in class. Uh, not one where... You know, basically, it's like Fight Club for small children. Like that's that's not it. Um, I mean, that sounds really entertaining, but that's it it's does, not healthy. But, but it's not not healthy now. So, can you imagine if they remade Fight Club with just with children? just children? <laughs> People got arrested for that before. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not a good idea in reality. But if you want to make that movie, I I think we all would go watch yeah, that. I'd go watch it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you know, go in without your children. Watch watch a kid's class and, and see how the kids are they having fun do they come out of there smiling and happy or do they come out of there thinking okay i got this done it's off of my to-do list i don't have to you know to deal with it for another day or two right um and then when it comes to the curriculum if you find a good kids program they will have a curriculum and and if you're absolutely without any luck there's no good kids program around you there's no good instruction around you um, uh, I'm gonna come out and say that like my my cousins here in Henner, they have a DVD set that's for like Gracie, you know, um, spilly proofing your child, and they have like Gracie games in there, and and those are like fun ways of getting your children involved with grappling without them being aware that they're grappling. And it's stuff that you know me and my cousins, you know, I'm sure my you know aunts and uncles, we all did it you know because this comes down from the family where we weren't even aware that we were playing a game that we were grappling because we thought it was just a game that that is also very very helpful but well you see that in our kids class where the kids will maybe five ten minutes they'll have some type of rolling and uh like tumbling class where they're just to them they're doing somersaults and doing side rolls and laughing and there may be a game where there's a jump rope that or like a rope that people are holding and the kids have to roll under it or right. jump over it and fall right and right. they're all laughing and it's like a game but right. they're learning some very basic stuff that they need to right. know and then it'll become it'll be reflex for them it'll be stuff that they don't even realize that they learned when they were younger um but but again the key thing with with children is make it fun for them to be there don't make it a chore don't make it something that they have to do you know because the only thing you're going to accomplish by making a chore or forcing them to be there is for them to create resentment and as soon as they can they'll find a way to quit good advice yeah that's good advice from two non-parents <laughs> yeah pretty much i mean take, take my word for you know with a grain of salt but that is advice from an aries and it's been a oh while. Oh, my God. It's been a while. You gonna, so You're going to do me like that? So yeah. before we leave, we're just going to transition over to your horoscope. And I got to give credit to my, my go-to um, for the podcast, Cafe Astrology. Oh, uh, my God. Uh, we haven't got a sponsorship from Cafe Astrology <laughs> I mean, yet. You should but, just contact them at this point. 
But if they want to send one our way, I think we're only doing your brand well. So here we go. Today's horoscope for Croiler. There can be some tension. Let me start over. There can be some tension to the day, dear Aries. And perhaps annoying grunt work to take care of now. Did you have grunt work today that you had to deal with? Work, maybe? I'm, I'm not going to... You're not this. even going <laughs> to... Even if this was a... Okay, what if this was so accurate that it said, and when you were turning right onto Fur Road, there was a green trailer that, that, was, that pulled out in front of you. It, would you still be like, no, that's ridiculous. Yeah. I know I would be too, but anyway, let's just let's just play this. this <laughs> let's just play this game. All right. On this day before a new moon, however, man, I almost forgot it's the day before a new moon. Wow. It's Friday tomorrow, so do you want to have a new moon Friday party? Let's do it. Let's do that. Uh, on this new on this day before a new moon, however, be sure to spend some time unwinding and reflecting, rather than pushing something new forward. This way, your intuition kicks in and helps you tune into the positive energy of the lunation. The lunation. The lunation. Wow, I didn't know that was a word. I didn't either. The lunation. The energy wow. of the. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna look that up. I'm because, gonna look that up right now. Keep going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You look it up because I my phone. Yeah, you look it up. While quiet times are right for you now. There's a sun Uranus influence with you today that builds your enthusiasm. Did you feel enthusiastic at all today? You had a little bit of a pep in your step when you came in here, and I thought maybe you just had a good day, but apparently that is because of the sun and it's, it's pretty determined. And, and yeah, Uranus. By the way, lunation is a, another term for lunar north. So I think that they just saw lunation and they thought it was like a very descriptive word. You tune you tune into the positive energy of the lunar north is what that that would mean. If yeah, yeah, that makes no sense. Okay, uh, shocking, unusual, <laughs> and exciting elements on the job or in your daily routine routine can be in focus, and they are motivating. Look for the new ways of approaching your work or services, making or handling money, and improving health. But wait to put exact plans into motion after the new moon, and then only when it feels right. Alternatives can be introduced now that lead you to lead you to rethink old problems and concerns. Problem solving comes very easily to you today as you look at a practical at practical matters in a new light. Okay. If you've had any issues, maybe well, problem solving is is something you're good at today. Um, tomorrow it's gone. It's gone. You're right. gonna be a fucking mess. So just today, start putting together like some plans for for our trip in Europe, because this is the day to do it. Don't do it tomorrow. Okay. Please don't put any plans so together tomorrow. if I tomorrow. get lost on my way to work tomorrow, will you come out and help me? I will, because you can't help it. Yeah. That's it's, it's just... It's predetermined. No, it, it's because the sun and Uranus <laughs> are, are, are causing that. <laughs> All right, that's oh it for God. today, everyone. Uh, thank you. Thank you, dear Aries, and we will see you guys next week. <laughs>